You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to be back. I've been uh, gone this week to Egypt Christian Church down in Colombia, not in Egypt. Um, it'd be a little bit more of a trip for that, but I've been with them for a revival this week, and so it's good to be back with my church. It's nice to go away and visit another church, but it's just good to be with you all today. And so today we're finishing up a series of messages that we've been calling Monsters, Inc. We've been talking about this for the past few weeks, and in this series of messages we've looked at overcoming the monsters in life that we face. And so a few weeks ago we, t- we looked at the monster fear, and we talked about how we overcome this monster in our life called fear. And we said you could take all of the teachings of Jesus on the topic of fear, and you could sum it up into two words, and it's these two words, fear not. You fear not, and we can fear not because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus provides us with the confidence, the certainty to know that everything that Jesus has said, everything that He has taught is true because He validated that when He rose from the dead. So we can fear not. Then last week we talked about the, the monster of pride, and we talked about how we, we conquer that monster, and the key to conquering the monster of pride is humility. And, and so we, we take the words of Jesus, the advice of Jesus, and we humble ourselves. We think of, of being humbled as something that's done to us. We are humbled by the loss of a job or by a failed marriage or, or failed relationship or, or just a shattered dream, something like that. Those are things that humble us. But Jesus said, no, 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 you don't have to have all of those things humble you. You can humble yourself before him and so if we want to conquer the monster of pride we humble ourselves today we're going to be dealing with the monster of guilt and so as we get started with that I want to I want to ask you a question this morning just for you to consider it's a question that goes out on a lot of different surveys um, people will send it out and they'll get responses and then they'll use those responses to put out a report about how how bad our society is or how how bad our culture is and so here's the question I want you to think about this morning if you knew there was nothing that was going to happen to you, no negative consequences, you knew you wouldn't get caught, what would you do? In fact, just turn to your neighbor right now and tell them what you would do. Actually, don't, don't do that because some of you, when you read that question, you had a very, like, you came up with something really quick. And that may be another top discussion that we need to have at some point. But there, there was something that you thought of, if there, if there were no chance you would get caught, you thought of and you thought, man, I shouldn't even think about this. I'm in church. Like, this is not the place for me to be thinking about this. And here's what happens when you answer that question. And people, people will fill out the surveys and send them back in. And the answers that people send back in, like, you thought you knew your neighbor. But maybe you don't know your neighbor quite as well as you think. But here's what happens when we answer that question. When, when the filters come off in that moment, your heart is exposed. Your heart is exposed when you, and some of you, like some of you thought some really bad things. Like, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of like who thought this and who thought that. But, but immediately, like there was some, some really bad things that we think about if we knew we wouldn't get caught what we would do. But because of our culture and because we try to teach people to be responsible so that, you know, you can get a job and you can have a spouse and you can be a productive member of society, all the things that we, we want people to be, we teach people to monitor their behavior. We teach people. That's, that's, that's one of the core fundamentals of, of really of, of 
the school system is to teach people to monitor their behavior. And, and, that's, and that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. That's a great thing, actually. But what we never teach people to do is to monitor their hearts. Maybe even worse than that, we encourage people to follow their hearts. Which may be a good idea or maybe not a good idea. It depends on what's in there. Here's what Jesus had to say about it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 Verse 17 and 18, he said, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Which we would all say, okay, yeah, basic biology. And he says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. These, these things that go into a, into a person's mouth or out, come out of the person's heart or out of the ma- mouth from the heart, they defile them because it puts them at odds with people. It puts them at odds with God. And the best way to, to be at odds with God is to offend people and to hurt people that God loves. And so then Jesus goes on and He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Maybe some of the things that you thought of when you were asked the question, what could I do and, not, and get away with it. These, Jesus says, are what defile a person. He equates our hearts with our thoughts. He says that's, that's what defiles a person. He says it's not what you put into your body that defiles a person. It's, it's what comes out. Because what comes out is already in there. And where is it? He says it's in our heart. And all of these actions that come out of our hearts, he says, begins with a thought. Now this explains something. This, this idea of, of what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. It explains something that all of us have experienced probably at some point or another. It it explains why seemingly very, very nice people and otherwise very nice people and good people suddenly do or say horrific things. In fact, I don't don't have a daughter, so I don't get to give, you know, that kind of fatherly dating advice uh, to, to girls. But here's, if I did, here's what I would say to them. I'd want them to know that if you're in a relationship with someone who does or says something that seems on occasion out of character, especially when they're under pressure, you should pay attention to that. That's a red flag. Like There should be a warning light that goes off in your head, and you should go, I need to pay attention to that. And then when they say, I don't know where that came from. I don't don't know what happened there. You just lean in and you say, I know where it came from. It came from your heart, because that's what's in there. Let me explain it this way. If I took this bowl of skittles this container of skittles and i just tipped them over and and or shook them up that wouldn't determine what came out would it what's already in here determines what comes out if i shake this up or tip it over what's in here determines what comes out and so if i if i just dump these skittles out what's already in the bowl determines what comes out and maybe the more important question is mike do you want some skittles can't if you do I'll put them back in my gumball machine. You can pay a quarter to get them. (laughs) But shaking that container, tipping it over, doesn't determine what comes out. It only exposes what's already in there. And so it is with me and with you that life only exposes what's already in here. And so, so with that in mind, we should take the advice of Solomon who writes in Proverbs. He says, above all else, in other words, maybe the most important thing, he says, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Every thought that you have, every action that you take, it flows from your heart. So above all else, if you don't do anything else, guard your heart. Because what's in here will eventually be out there. 
Think about it this way. What's in our hearts will eventually spill out onto those that are closest to us. And, and those who are closest to us, what's in their hearts will eventually spill out onto us. So we've got to guard our hearts. And guarding your heart involves a couple of things. It involves cleaning out some toxins as well as keeping them out. And so with, so with that in mind, what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're going to talk about what most of us have lived long enough to, to experience and, and accumulate some of this. And, and the question that we're going to answer and deal with is how do we deal with guilt? How do we deal with guilt? And the, and the reason I've set it all up by talking about guarding our hearts is because when guilt gets into our heart, when we let guilt fester into our heart, it controls us. It will define us. It will, it will determine uh, what we do. It will keep us from, from doing things. It will keep us from becoming the person that Jesus has called us to be because we think, I can't ever do that. Because, because of this sin in my past, I can't ever go back. I can't ever do whatever. And we're just going to see that we got to overcome the monster of guilt. Because guilt... Guilt is the emotion associated with acknowledging that we have done something wrong. Right? So that's, that's guilt. So let me just ask a question, and you can show, we can do a show of hands. How many of you have ever done something wrong? Some of y'all are liars. All right? So you can just add that to your list. All right? But, but because just about everybody in here raised their hand, at some point we have all experienced Guilt. Guilt is the emotion associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. And there are a couple different types of guilt. There's, there's false guilt. False guilt is where, where maybe you were accused of doing something that you didn't do. And so even though you didn't do it, you feel bad about it. You feel bad because somebody has, has said that you did this or you did whatever. And, and so you just kind of feel, you feel guilty over it. There's the guilt where, where we experience where we did something, but it, was, it wasn't a big deal. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it was, it was pretty minor. And so we feel a little bad about that. Well, we're not going to talk about those types of guilts, okay? We're going to talk about the guilt that you did it. And there is, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You did it. You are guilty. And so what do we do with that? Well, here's the typical thing that we do when we find that we're guilty because nobody likes to face guilt. We try and deny it because guilt tends to define us we we tend to be defined by guilt we think we're going to be the person you know i'm always going to be the guy that did this in college or i'm always going to be the girl that did this in high school and that defines who we are as people and so we let guilt define us and because we let guilt define us we often try to deny it we try and and just push it away and act like it never happened act like it doesn't exist but here's the thing with guilt when when you deny it or you let it define you it always empowers it denying guilt and being defined by guilt always empowers guilt and so guilt throws us off balance when when that happens and when guilt throws us off balance especially in the relationships most important to us it creates what we call a debt debtor relationship and you think about that you go "Eh, i don't know about that but but think about it when you are guilty of something it creates a debt debtor relationship between you and the person that you have wronged maybe you and yourself it can create a uh, debtor relationship between you and yourself, but it can also create it in you and other people. Every single wrong that you've ever committed against another person, there's a sense in which you took something from them. You stole something from them. It, it could have been money. It could have been time. It could have been innocence. It could have been reputation, self-esteem. But every time you committed a wrong against another person, you took something from them. You stole something from them. And so because you took something from them, you owe them something, right? That's a debt-debtor relationship. 
And we even have phrases for, for things like that. We say, I owe her an apology. I owe her something. That's, that's a debt-debtor relationship. Or you say, I don't know how I could ever make it up to them. That's a debt-debtor relationship. But, but here's the big thing about that. We don't experience guilt as a debt. We experience guilt as a weight, a weight that's often so heavy that it throws us off balance, and so we're either too aggressive or in our relationships or we're too timid in our relationships. We don't forgive when we ought to forgive, and, and, and we're just off balance because we don't experience guilt as a debt but as a weight. And we even have phrases for, for that. When you resolve a guilt, what do you say? You say, oh, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. We experience guilt as a weight. But here's the, the other thing about guilt. The, the very real tricky thing about guilt is that guilt travels. You carry it with you everywhere you go. You, you might have picked the weight up at school, but you carried it home. You might have picked it up at home, but you carried it to work. Guilt travels. And if we don't resolve that guilt, then it turns into something very sinister. Guilt always evolves into anger. Unresolved guilt evolves into anger. And at the end of the day, you're angry. You're angry with yourself because you didn't live up to, to your expectations. And the problem with anger is that anger leaks. You don't just stay angry with yourself. You're disappoint You've disappointed you, but now you're constantly disappointed with everybody around you. You didn't live up to your expectations, and now nobody can live up to your expectations. And guilty people, and we're all guilty people to some extent, guilty people rarely are able to make the connection between their guilt and their anger. So here's what I would just maybe say be aware of. If you're around someone who's always angry, there's probably some unresolved guilt that they need to work out. There's probably something going on in their life that they've never resolved. And so guilty people rarely make the connection between their guilt and their anger. They're, they're able to, to point out everybody else's guilt. They're able to see everybody else's, the, the, the speck in everybody else's eye, but they're very rarely able to get the, the plank out of their own. And there's a good reason for that. There's a good reason for that. Because we don't want to face our guilt. We don't want to embrace our guilt. Why? So we, we deny our guilt and, and we, we try not to let it define us because to do this, it leaves us with no other option but to stand condemned. If we acknowledge that we are guilty, there's only one thing that we can, can do, right? We have to stand condemned to take the punishment. We, you know, we can't undo the past. We can't unsay whatever it was that we say. You can't undrink or unsmoke or whatever. You can't unring the bell, so to speak. So we just deny it. Or we do whatever we can to, to try and distance ourselves from it. But we can't really do that either, can we? Because your past and my past, they weren't meant to be left behind. The past was not designed to be left behind. Your past is your story. And if you don't resolve that guilt, it, it just travels with you. But here's... here's Great news. I've, I've got really great news for you. And that's why I've spent so much time these first few minutes setting, setting everything up this way. Because you do not have to be defined by your past. Neither do you have to deny your past. There's a third option that Jesus offered. Notice that you don't have to be defined by your past. And you don't have to deny it either. There's a third option. And, and in just a moment, I'm going to read you something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. And here's the thing that you just need to know about the Apostle Paul so that when you read this, it, it really sinks in what he is saying. Because Paul probably had more regret and more guilt than everybody in this church combined. We could take all of our guilt, we could take all of our regrets, we could put it in a pile, and when compared to the Apostle Paul, his probably outweighs ours. In fact, Paul may have had more regret and more guilt than anybody in the world. 
This was a man whose life experiences had left him so broken and so ashamed and so guilty. And when he steps onto the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus, I mean, he's a, he's a persecutor of the church. And he goes around arresting Christians and he, he has them dragged off and thrown into jail and many of them executed on his watch. And then years later, a few, not even years, just a few years later, he would, he would face the children of parents that he had arrested and had executed. And later in his life, he would be so immersed and engulfed in the very community of, of people of the church, of Christians. You know, these people that their fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and aunts and uncles that he had been responsible for having arrested and for many of them being put to death. And he had done all of that in the name of God thinking he was doing a good thing. I can't imagine the horror and the terror and the guilt that he must have experienced. But here's the amazing thing about Paul's story is he doesn't deny his guilt. Paul didn't deny his guilt. In fact, he does something even better for us. For, for our sake, he documents his guilt. We know the story of Paul. We, we know about the Apostle Paul because he documented his guilt. And instead of allowing it to define him and instead of spending every minute of every day trying to distance himself from it and acknowledge it and, and act like it didn't happen, he, he doesn't do that. The Apostle Paul, in fact, he gives us a third option. He discovered this third way and after he became a follower of Jesus, and we find it in Romans chapter 8, here's what it says, verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Therefore, that means it's a new day, it's a new era, new, something new has happened. God has done something new, and as a result of what God has done, there is therefore now no condemnation. He's saying that there is a space, there's a place that, that where your past, your actual past, where, where you did all of these horrible things, your actual past is neither forgotten nor is it condemning. It can be faced, even though we can't erase it, you, you can live without condemnation. You don't have to pretend it didn't happen, and you don't have to uh, just push yourself away from it. There is a space and a place where we can actually acknowledge our past and not be condemned. And where is that space? He tells us, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation, and here's the space, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are willing to face the condemning truth about themselves, acknowledge it, and, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, they stand uncondemned, and they can regain their balance. And how does that work for us? Well, he tells us that too. Verse 2, he says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is simply this, that when you sin, you're stuck, you're guilty, you're, you're, you're guilty forever. And when you hurt somebody, you're just guilty. When you, when you have sinned, when you've messed up, when you have violated the law, you are guilty and there is no coming back from that. You are guilty forever. And he says, but there, that's different than the law of the Spirit. The law of Spirit gives life and it sets you free. How does it do that? He says, well, let me tell you that too. He says, for what the law was powerless to do. What the law was powerless to do. Here's what we need, we need to understand about law. And it's not just the law of, of sin and death or the Old Testament law. It's the law in general. The only thing that law can do is set the standard for as low as we can possibly go. And then when we go below that, condemn us. And in some cases, punish us. That's what law does. It decides what the minimum standard is. And when we go below that, it condemns us and in some cases punishes us. But what the law cannot do, the law cannot restore you. 
The law can't set you free from your past. The law is just a constant reminder that you're guilty. You know, good luck with that. Live with it, deny it, uh, whatever, but live off balance for the rest of your life. That's what the law does. But Paul says what the law was powerless to do, God did. And how did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. His own Son, who wasn't guilty of anything, to be a sin offering. That means that at the cross, Jesus took what you and I deserve. Do you know what He took? Do you know what Jesus took at the cross? We, all, we always say, yeah, He took our sin. Yeah, that, that's true, but it's even better than that. I don't know if you all realize this. It's even better than He just took our sin. Not only did He take our sin, He took our guilt. At the cross, Jesus took our guilt. He took on the condemnation associated with our sin. And when Paul wrote this, he realized that, that this was if you were less guilty than he was, if, if you were equally as guilty as he was, or if somehow in some universe you were even more guilty than he was, that when you stepped into a relationship with Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is therefore now no condemnation. Paul says we can agree you're guilty. You did it. You're as guilty as all get out. You're as guilty as sin, to use the old phrase. But you are not condemned. We are guilty, but not condemned. And so consequently, God says, when I see you, I don't see that. When I see you, I don't see all of your past mistakes. I don't see all of the sin. I don't see all of the shame and the guilt that we might live with. I don't see any of that. What I see is a person who has been made righteous by the work of Jesus on the cross. So you know what that means? It means that God has restored us to a guiltless relationship in spite of our guilt. That God chooses to love you and and to listen to you and, and to relate to you as if it never happened. You're guilty because you did it. There's no denying that. You are guilty, but you are not condemned. Jesus took your guilt upon Himself. And so there's a, real quickly, there's a few implications of this. That you are guilty but not condemned. That I am guilty but not condemned. And the first one is this, is that you forfeit your right to condemn yourself because you are not yours to condemn. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you forfeit your right to condemn yourself because you are no longer yours to condemn. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you, were, when you became a Christian, you, you be, gave yourself over to the ownership of Jesus. Jesus bought you with His blood, and so you belong to Him. And oftentimes, the people that we're the hardest on are ourselves, right? We, we always... We, we let our guilt define us, and so we, we just live in that. And, and, and Jesus says, Paul says, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. You are guilty, but you are not condemned, and you are not condemned because Jesus took on your guilt, so you don't have to live in that guilt and that shame anymore. Secondly, your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. Your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. Remember this, and, and you need to know this. God condemns sin, not you. What did, what did God say when he, he had to condemn something, right? And so Paul writes in Romans, he said, So he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. God did have to condemn something, but He didn't condemn us. He condemned sin. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, right? If I asked you to say it with me, you probably could, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's the verse. But there's another verse. We always stop at that verse at the end there. But there's another verse that follows it that is just as powerful. John 3.17, it says, God sent His Son into the world. And who's the world? The world is us, right? 
God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Your past becomes a pivot point for you, for you to, to not condemn yourself, but to look up to God in gratitude and, and thankfulness for what He has given to you, which is forgiveness, not condemnation. So your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. And the third one is this, is that you are free to make restitution without expectations and without excuses. Listen, this is not Christianity. Uh, that This idea that I hurt you and then I ask God to forgive me and so everything's okay, right? That, that, that's not Christianity. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. Christianity is, is I hurt you and I ask God to forgive me. And He gave me what I don't deserve. He gave me grace and forgiveness. So the very least that I can do is to come back and give you what you deserve, which is restitution. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's something else. But, but, but God has given us what we don't deserve, forgiveness. So how dare we not go back to the people that we have hurt and make restitution? And when we go back, we don't go back with our own little narrative and our own excuses about why we did something. You know, I was young and I was dumb or I was raised a certain way. And because I, you know, my parents were, were bad parents, they brought me up this way. No, no, no. We don't go back with any kind of excuses. We just go back with, hey, I am wrong. I am guilty. And I owe you something. And so we make restitution because of what God has given to us. And here's the thing about that. Your restitution, your apology... You're whatever it is that you owe them. Because, because you took something from them. Remember that? You took something from them. It might be what unlocks the vault of bitterness that has just been eating them alive. Your willingness to step in and say, I am guilty. I did it. No excuses. But I am accepting, I am accepting that. And in you, Jesus, I am not, I am not condemned. I'm not going to condemn myself. Uh, I'm just going to be thankful for how much you love me and how much you have freed me and and every time I'm reminded of my past every time I'm reminded of my sin it's going to be a reminder to me of how grateful I am for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus but because of that I am free now to go back and to make restitution to the people that I've hurt I'm not going to make excuses I'm not going to say hey yeah but you had a part in this too or you know you know I was young and dumb or any of that kind of thing I'm just going to go back and it's possible, it's possible that in your humility, as you display the humility of Christ, that as you go back and, and make restitution, that it will allow the people that you've hurt to deal with stuff and, and bitterness that's just been in their heart that they just don't know what to do with. So maybe we need to ask ourselves this question first. Is there somebody waiting for us to make the first move? Is there somebody from your past who's carrying the shrapnel of what you did to them or maybe what you didn't do for them? Is there someone waiting for you to make the first move? Remember, Jesus humbled Himself for you. He left heaven and humbled Himself for us. He made restitution on our part, on our behalf to God. And because of that, we are now free to humble ourselves before others and make restitution with them. So really, I guess the question is, are you, are you ready to, to stop telling yourself the same old lies? Are you ready to get honest with God and with yourself and, and possibly with others? And look, I get the tension of this. It's, it's difficult. We, we fear the, the consequences of confession more than we fear the, the consequences of concealment. And, and that's a dangerous uh, tension. It's a mistake, actually, because when we do that, it allows guilt to, to fester in our heart. It allows guilt to control us. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. 
Our, our past will remind us, but it will not define us. My past will remind me of my sins and my mistakes, but it will not define me. And your past, your, your sins and your mistakes, they will remind you, but they do not have to define you. Because Paul said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are so grateful for the grace and the forgiveness that we find in You. Father, thankful for the, the fact that You made restitution on our behalf. That You humbled Yourself and, and You came to the cross and You died for our sins. And not only did You take our sin away, but You took our guilt and our shame. And so Father, would You just give us the boldness and the courage to live in that freedom. To know that we don't have to be uh, we don't have to deny our past and we don't have to uh, let it define us. That we can live in the freedom that your Son has set us free. Father, that's, that's empowering for, for me to know that I am not bound by, by guilt and shame and my past mistakes, but that I am free to live in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that I find in your Son. Father, would you empower all of us with that today? Father, thank you for that truth. Father, thank you that we are guilty, but we are not condemned. It's in the powerful and redeeming name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and if, uh, if you're here this morning and you've never uh, been set free, you carry that baggage of guilt, that monster of guilt around with you, and you need to, to be released from that, we would invite you to, to call on Jesus as your Savior. You can do that. Um, we'd, we'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe this morning you just need somebody to pray with you. We would love to pray with you about whatever is going on in your life. Or maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, this is the church that I want to identify with. This is, I want to be a part of this church and you come to place your membership. We'd love for you to be able to do that as well. So would you sing with us as we have our invitation time?